Amen. Good morning. Good afternoon. How we doing, Epiphany? Y'all are quiet this morning. Welcome to the second of our two services. Uh, we are grateful to be here, grateful to, to be worshiping the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Make no mistake about it. That is why we gather. This, that is why we've gathered for a second time uh, today, and that is to make much of Jesus. Anybody here to make much of Jesus today? Amen. It's a joy to watch you guys come in this morning after uh, having service in here already this morning. You know, I'm thinking back to when we first started the church, 2015, June of 2015, we started with a vision night. And uh, it was just a night that we got to cast vision, talk a little bit about who we are, what the church is about, and give us an opportunity to really connect with people. And we did it again in July of 2015. And then uh, we pushed everybody towards our Bible studies that started September 6th of 2015. We had uh, people show up to, to really get into what the Bible has to say. And, you know, that's the foundation of our church. The foundation of our church is built on the scriptures of Jesus Christ, which point us, I mean, scriptures, which point us to the work of Jesus Christ. And we, we ran those Bible studies, man, throughout the fall and into the winter and launched our church in March of 2016. This past March uh, 2017, we uh, ended up celebrating our one-year anniversary. Amen. Very exciting stuff. And now we're in October and we have moved to two services. Uh, when I woke up this morning, the only thing I was feeling in my heart was God is faithful. He just is, man. He just is. Like, he just is. My wife, uh, she stayed at her parents' house last night in New Jersey. She texted me this morning, and it said the exact same thing. God is faithful. And it was almost like affirmation just about the faithfulness of our God. Uh, let me take this moment to quickly say thank you to all of our volunteers. I did it in the first service, and I want to do it again. Anybody that serves, not just today, but anybody that serves in any capacity here, we are grateful for, for you. What you're doing is facilitating uh, ministry so that people can come in and actually uh, be comfortable enough to, to worship in here. So thank you to all of our visitors. Can you guys help me thank God for, not our visitors, our volunteers. Amen. Doesn't matter what capacity it is, whether it's more visible capacities, whether it's singing up here or playing or uh, maybe it's something behind the scenes. Hospitality greets you guys in the morning. There is somebody in there with your kids. If you dropped your kids off this morning, there is uh, people in the kids room right now uh, talking to your kids about the gospel of Christ. There are babies in our infant room and they are being prayed over as we speak. And so uh, we are glad to do what we do. Uh, I thought it appropriate this afternoon uh, not to continue on with our First Peter series today. Just with us going to two services, I really want to shift our focus and our perspective to, to purely be on who builds the church. I think sometimes it's easy for us to, you know, say we're going to two services, we're going to three services, we're going to four services, and almost have this pride of I'm building the church. But uh, when I tell you our text this morning will be very, very clear that we have no part in building the church. It is Jesus' church, and he's building it. Not only building it, not only building it, but sustaining it as well. So if you guys could do me a favor and meet me in Matthew chapter 16, that is where we're going to spend our time this morning. Uh, if you're struggling finding Matthew, it's okay. It is the first book in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 16. You guys have heard me quote it before, so I'd love to walk through it. Why don't you pick me up in verse 13? It says this, now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? 
And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, well, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, do me a favor, underline, highlight. Uh, this is actually highlighted in my Bible in green and in yellow. Uh, draw a smiley face, do whatever you want to really zoom you in on this next profession, this next statement. Here's what Peter says. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him and said, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I will tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I want to preach today from the topic, uh, lifting up right out of verse number 18, Jesus' own words. I will build my church. I'll build my church. Let us look to the Lord. Uh, Father, this morning, as we attempt to go to two services, we do so uh, realizing that this is your church and you're building it. It's amazing that in this text, you don't give us any credit for building it. You don't even give us credit that you're building our church, but it's so clear in the text this morning that it's your church and you're building it. Father, we want to submit to that. And if you've built it, Father, you protect it and you sustain it and and all of those things. And so we thank you, Lord. This morning we come to you like we do every single Sunday morning or this afternoon we come to you and ask and plead that the Holy Spirit would be in the room right now. Father, it is impossible for us to understand your word without the Holy Spirit. And so, Father, would you do that for us this morning? I pray Psalms 115 over all of us, not unto us, not unto us, but unto you get the glory. You get all the praise. You get all the honor this morning because of your faithfulness. So we thank you this morning. Meet us as we go through your word. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. I will build my church. We cannot understand the church until we first understand who has built the church and who sustains the church. Again, it's very easy for us to walk in and say, man, I've built the church. It's very easy for us to say, I've put strategy together. I put a prospectus together. I went and raised money for the church and all of those things. But at the end of the day, none of that works if Jesus isn't building it. Scripture is very clear that it's Jesus' church and he is building his church. It's important for you to understand that the church is not built on the, uh, the charisma of a leader. Church is not built on the best child care. The, verse is not, the church is not built on who has the best music and who has the best programs and uh, who, you know, who, who can offer the, the best social media and who has the coolest logos and the best websites. The church isn't built on any of those things. According to the text, church is built on Jesus Christ. And if the church is built and sustained on Jesus Christ, can we all agree that the church is unstoppable? Now, I know when we look out, it's easy for you. And based on experiences in church, maybe some of you have had bad experiences in church. And, and, you know, your experiences have led you to the assumption that the church is actually pretty stoppable. When I look at the dwindling numbers in churches, it's easy for me to say the church is stoppable. When I look at uh, the, the reasons why people join and leave a church, sometimes they're very consumeristic. What does the church have for me? How does the church serve me? What does the church have for my kids program? And what does the church have for my nephew and all of these things? And, and listen, yeah, the church should be able to provide some programs. But at the end of the day, if that is what we're building the church on, the church is stoppable. But in our text today, it's going to tell us the church is unstoppable. And it's not unstoppable because of the people that make up the church. It's unstoppable because of the head, the cornerstone as the, as the worship team saying. So don't get it twisted this morning. Jesus is very clear. 
Don't lose focus of who's building this church now. In our text this morning, Jesus is going to have a dialogue with his disciples. But before we get to the dialogue between the disciples and Jesus, it's very important that we note where the conversation has taken place. Where does this dialogue take place? Well, the text tells us, verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, Caesarea Philippi is interesting. It is the northern part of, it's by the Sea of Galilee. Uh, it's the northern part, the, the district of Caesarea Philippi. We talked a little bit about it last week when I talked to you about guys about the worship of Pan. And, and di the district of Caesarea Philippi was interesting. The reason it was interesting is because it was a city that was known for its religious diversity. It was a city where the worship of Zeus would have taken place. It is a city where the worship of Pan would have taken place. It is the place where the worship of Baal would have taken place. Even Caesar himself would have had a temple built in his honor. Why is this important? And I know you're like, well, who cares about what's happening 2,000 years ago in a town called Caesarea Philippi. Here's why it's important for us. Because as we're planting this church in this neighborhood, Brooklyn is a very religious borough. Like we have the Kingdom Hall down the street. If you go down Atlantic, I don't know if it's still there, but Atlantic and like around class and there's something called the Spiritual Worship Center, which is they worship, they bring all of these different religions together. They're very inclusive. They want everybody to just be comfortable and you can just at any time worship whatever God you want to. Not only that, but if you look around in, in, in Bed-Stuy and you start to look at um, different cultic religions like Hebrew Israelites, I don't know if you guys have seen these guys. I, I went to a six-hour Greek class yesterday. When I got out of the class, I, uh, I got down to the corner, and it was crazy. It was about 10 dudes out there. They were dressed up. They looked like Power Rangers, and they was all dressed up, and, you know, they was reading all hard, and they were going through Deuteronomy chapter 28, and I was, I mean, I was disturbed by the stuff that they were saying. Mark them as false prophets. But here's what you, you know, if you're a new visitor or your first time coming here or, you know, maybe you've been coming here and you're like, you know what, Pastor, you're just a little too exclusive. You should be more inclusive. You should be more welcoming to other religions. And we are welcome. Anybody's welcome to come in. But in the text this morning, Jesus separates himself from all other religions. In our text this morning, Jesus not only separates himself, but he separates the church from other false gods. Notice that Jesus is going to accept the claim that Peter makes at a location like Caesarea Philippi where all other, I mean, temples were everywhere. But yet Jesus is crushing. He's flexing his muscles against other religions. That is what he's doing. And this is consistent with biblical uh, teachings of, of God separating himself from other religions. You look at places like 1 Kings 18. I don't know if you guys know this story. In 1 Kings 18, there's a prophet by the name of Elijah. He's God's prophet. Not only is Elijah there, but there's 450 prophets of Baal. And they go through this duel. And so they're like, let's see whose God is the real God. So both of us will call on our God. We'll build altars. We'll call on our God. And whoever God, whichever God lights fire on the altar, that's the one true God. And so these prophets of Baal, 450 of them, the Bible says from morning until night, they run around and they are praying to their God. The Bible goes so far as to say they're cutting themselves and blood is gushing out. And Elijah is dope, man. He's just sitting back and he's just watching. 
And one of the things I love about the Bible is it always affirms a little bit of sarcasm. Sarcasm is okay. When you look at the scriptures, when you look at Elijah's response, they're running around cutting themselves and praying. And Elijah's going, maybe your God's in the bathroom. He's going, I'm, read it, 1 Kings 18. He's going, maybe your God is asleep. So after they get done, the Bible says that their God was silent. No answer. The altar was not lit for them. But then Elijah says, you know what? He wants to show how God is able, his God is able to do the impossible and how his God can flex his muscles in the midst of other gods. And so you know what he does? He looks at the altar, but instead of saying, God, light the altar, what he does is he says, go get four buckets of water. They get four buckets of water. They pour it on the altar. I encourage you to read the story. They pour it on the altar. He says, you know what? That's nice. Do it again. They get four more buckets and pour it on the altar. He says, that's nice, but do it a third time. They get four, 12 buckets of water have been poured on this altar. The altar is drenched. It's soaked. And God called, and Elijah calls on his God. And when he calls on his God, God lights the altar like that. What do you see happening in 1 Kings 18? God is flexing his muscles. All of the people fell on their face in that story. They fell on their face and said, the Lord, he is God. What did God do? He said, I know the prophets of Baal, there's 450 of them, they're all praying, but I'm going to show you who's the real God. And so he flexes his mother muscles, and that is what Jesus is doing. He's in Caesarea Philippi, the worship of Baal, the worship of Pan, which was a perverted worship, the, the worship of Caesar and Zeus, all of these gods. And God is like, and Christ is like, but I'm going to build my church right here. He did not build it in a central location like Jerusalem. He did not build it in a place like Antioch or Bethlehem. Like you would have thought he went to Bethlehem and said, this is where I'm going to build my church. No, no, no. Right here in the midst of all of these other false religions, I will build my church. Now that we understand the importance of the location, let us get into the question that Jesus asked. Look back at the verse with me. Verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, look at this question. Who do people say that the son of man is? Can can I just suggest to you, whenever the Lord asks a question, it is never because he doesn't know the answer. This is a rhetorical question. Like Jesus isn't confused on who he is. He's not asking around, asking people who he is so that he can build his identity off of what other people are saying. You know how I know that Jesus isn't doing that? Because even in the question he asks, he lays out who he is. He doesn't say, who do people say that I am? He says, who do people say that the son of man is? It's a messianic title for Jesus Christ being fully God and fully human. Whenever Jesus asks a question, he's not looking for an answer. He's trying to reveal something to the people that he's asking the question to. It's almost like in Genesis 18 when when God asked Abraham, is there anything too hard for God? Like God the father wasn't in heaven scratching his head going, oh, my God, I think there's something too hard for me. Let me ask Abraham. He wasn't looking for an answer. What he was saying was, Abraham, in me asking this question, there's nothing too hard for me. So Jesus is asking this question this morning, and he's secure in who he is, which is why he says, who do people say that the son of man is? Now, their answer is hilarious to me. Look back at the text. Verse 14, and they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah. And others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets, just a rule of thumb for you. If you ever get an answer, if you ask a question and you get an answer and the person that's answering you starts with some say, 
you can bank on that, that answer not being right. If somebody says, if you ask somebody, man, what do you think about this? And they say, well, some say that answer is going to be a little, it's going to be a little flaky. They start their answer by saying some say, and who do they say? They must have believed in reincarnation because all of the people that they named were dead. He says, some say John the Baptist. Like John the Baptist has already died at this point, which is interesting to me because John the Baptist dies while beheaded, he's beheaded in jail because a, a, a stripper girl decides to give the king a lap dance. I'm not going to unpack it. You go read it. In fact, if it, I, might, I might preach that sermon. If I preach it, we'll call it drop it like it's hot or something like that. <laughs> a stripper gives the king a lap dance. And what do you see? That John the Baptist is now beheaded because of it. He's beheaded, which is crazy because he's, in, he's beheaded in jail while preaching the gospel. Which pushes against this prosperity theology. This man is in jail for preaching the gospel, suffering for the cause of Jesus Christ, and is beheaded. And then they say, well, some say that you're John the Baptist. And then they keep going with the list. They said, well, others say that you are Jeremiah or you're Elijah. And then they say one of the prophets. Now, they were wrong in saying that he was Jeremiah. They were wrong in saying that he was Elijah but they were not wrong in saying that Jesus was a prophet. Can we all agree that Jesus Christ absolutely was a prophet? But what they're giving is partial truth. They're not giving the full truth of who Jesus is because here's the reality. Jesus is a prophet, but he's also a priest. He's also a king. He's also 100% God, and ultimately he is our savior. In the text this morning, they don't list out the full title of who Jesus is. What do they say? He is a prophet. And yes, he is a prophet. He's a prophet because he speaks on our behalf. He's a priest because he intercedes on our behalf. And he is a king because he rules over us. This is partial truth. And my fear for you this morning that is that you're here this morning and maybe you come frequently, but you come frequently and you know partial truth about Jesus. Knowing partial truth about Jesus is not knowing him at all. Like, please, don't think, I know some facts about Jesus. I took notes on who Jesus was. Do you, have you submitted your life to him? Do you know full truth of who Jesus is? 2008, I went to a campaign. This is when uh, the 44th president, Barack Obama, was campaigning before. He was still a senator at this time. And he made a stop in uh, in the, the suburbs of Philadelphia. And my wife and my kids, we all loaded up the car and we all went to the campaign stop. And here's what I know about the, the 44th president. I can give you facts about him. I can tell you who he is. I can tell you who his wife is. I can tell you who his, who his daughters are, Sasha Malia. I can tell you he graduated from Harvard. When I was at the campaign stop, my, he, I shook his hand and told him I was praying for him. My wife asked a question and he rubbed my youngest son's head. He gave my oldest son a five. But here's the reality. If I ran into Barack Obama right now, he wouldn't know who I was. But I could spout out some facts about him. Here's my fear, that you know Jesus like I know the president. My fear is that you know facts about them, that you know details about them, but have you submitted your life? Here's what they said. Some say never. Listen, never trust a church that's building theology on some say never trust counsel that some say trust counsel of what God says. But the Bible says in our text this morning, some say you're Elijah. Some says you're John the Baptist. Some says you're Jeremiah. They're just like reaching for people. And finally, they say, some say you're a prophet, which isn't wrong. It's just 
partial truth. Don't know partial truth about Jesus. Know fully who Jesus is. And if you don't know, listen, welcome. Thank you for coming. If you don't, haven't trusted in Jesus, but ask somebody about who Jesus Christ is. Let's keep going. Verse 16. Let me go first, verse 15 into verse 16. And he said to them, but who do you say that I, who do you say that I am? This is interesting because he started by saying, who do people say that I am? The disciples were saying all this stuff that people were saying and what they were saying was not right. So he says, you know what? Y'all have rolled with me. Who do you say that I am? Look at what they say in verse 16. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Why am I not surprised that Peter is the one that responds? Like Peter is the one that always responds. Peter is, I mean, you know, Peter, is, he, can get out, he can get a little out of pocket at times. Peter is the dude that, you know, you really need a Peter in your life. So somebody that can, you know, preach in Acts chapter 2, 3,000 souls get added to the church. But this is also Peter that'll cut your ear off if you, if you rub Jesus the wrong way. And all of us need that one type of person in our life. Well, Peter is the one that stands up and Peter is the one that responds. Do not get it twisted. Peter is about that life. Man, when I was in, I was uh, uh, doing my residency on staff at a church in Philadelphia, and my office was adjacent to a, a park that was uh, right next door to the church. It was Diamond Street Park. It was a park that the church actually built. And I'm sitting up in my office, and I started smelling weed. I'm like, man, where is somebody smoking weed in the church? And so a guy that uh, was, was working down the hall from me, he comes down, and he says, man, I, I'm, I smell weed. And I'm like, man, I thought you was in your office smoking weed, but whatever. He says, man, we need to go find out what that is. So I look out the window, and the playground's empty. Nobody's on the playground. But this dude I'm with, he was a lot like Peter. He was just like about that life. So he's like, man, let's go outside and find out who it is. And in my mind, I'm like, we in North Philly, bro. You, you need to slow down. Just a, you can't just roll up on people smoking weed in North Philly. It just don't work like that. And so he's like, man, let's go out there. So I'm like, all right, cool. So we go outside and we walk around the church. And uh, I'm not surprised to find it was about seven dudes with hoodies on, fitted. They sitting on the steps of the back of the church, like literally on the church steps, smoking weed. And so this dude is like, yo, let's go talk to them. I'm like, slow down, bro. <laughs> let's reason here. Let's pray first and then go talk to him. He's like, no, nah, we're going to talk to him. Now, you, you know somebody's about that life when they actually roll up on you and start talking to you like this. When they do the fist like this, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's on, right? So I'm sitting there like, this dude is not going to walk up on He walks right up in their face. He's like, yo, didn't I tell you? Stop smoking this weed. On the, and I'm like, yo, we're about to die. It's like, today's the day we're going to die. That is what Peter is like. Peter is that dude that just does not care. And so why am I saying that? Because, yes, Peter was zealous, but, and, and, and Peter was, was enthusiastic, but Peter was rude. He was bold. He was brazen. And so who responds in the text? He says, who do you say that I am? Peter is the one that responds. More importantly than Peter responding, what Peter says is just as important. I would say what Peter says is more important. Look at what Peter says in verse 16. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Saying that you are the Christ really is Peter denouncing all other religions. Saying you are the Christ is Peter saying, I'm not taking a knee to worship Caesar. I'm not taking a knee to worship Baal. I'm not taking a knee to worship Zeus. To say you are the Christ is Peter saying, you are the one that we've been waiting for. 
To say that you are the Christ is Peter saying you are the long awaited Messiah. To say that you are the Christ is Peter saying you are the one. Yes, we talked about everybody saying you're one of the prophets. You're the one that the prophets prophesied about. You're the one that we've been waiting for. He says you are the Christ, the fulfillment of the Old Testament. This is why, see, this is why I preach Christ, because he is the long-awaited Messiah. Like, if there was 450 ways to preach Christ, I would preach him. But he's the only way. He's, the, he's our sufficient prophet, priest, and our king. And here's what I know about Jesus. He's unique. Nobody in your life is like Jesus. No one ever was born like Jesus, like the stars aligned for Jesus. Like, did the stars align for you? Did the stars align for anybody you know in your life? But the stars aligned for Jesus. Nobody was ever born like him. Nobody ever lived like Jesus. Nobody ever spoke like Jesus. Nobody ever died like Jesus. Nobody ever rose like Jesus. And here's what I know. Nobody's coming back like Jesus. He is the Christ. He is the king. He is not just 100% man, but he's 100% God. The natures don't mix. Jesus is the Christ. He says, you're the Christ. You're the one that we've been waiting for. Let's keep going. Verse 17. Because what, you know, what, what will happen is we'll look at the statement that Peter makes and we'll say, that's cool. We can come to that conclusion by, you know, just academics. We can just read about Jesus and, and come to that conclusion. But Jesus doesn't just affirm what Peter says. He says, he tells us this morning how he gets to that conclusion, which is important for us. Look at what verse 17 says. It says, and Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Watch this. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. You cannot, you cannot come to the conclusion that Jesus is the long awaited Messiah by flesh and blood. Flesh and blood doesn't, like, I love you guys and thank God for you that ha have committed here and said, you know, this is my church and, and I'm your pastor. But can I promise you, I can't reveal Jesus to you. I can talk about him. It's almost like that picture, you know. I, I don't know if you remember this back in the day. They used to have those, those pictures, especially in the malls. They used to have those pictures that, you know, they had all these dots on them or something like that. And people would look at them and be like, oh, I see a face. Oh, I, I see a, you know, I see a horse. And, you know, I was always a dude that was like, man, I just see dots. I don't see, I don't see nothing else. That's, that is what it's like. If, if God the Father does not reveal the Son to you, all you see is dots. But in the text this morning, he doesn't just say flesh and blood hasn't revealed that to you. Which, by the way, be careful of going to churches that preach flesh and blood. Be careful of connecting with ministries that all they give you is what was passed down to them, traditionalism. Be careful with that. Stick with what people, don't go to churches that just preach some say, but stick to what the Bible says and what God says. And so Jesus says, you know what? Blessed are you. He says, Simon bar Jonah. Simon means Peter. Bar means son of. Jonah is his father. Look at what he says. Note, note the difference between the fathers here. He says, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. In other words, your father did not reveal that to you. He says, but my father, which is in heaven. In other words, you cannot come to the conclusion of who Jesus is based on flesh and blood. The only way you can come to the conclusion of Jesus is when it's revealed by God the Father. 
That's what the text is affirming. Let me put some Bible there. Uh, Galatians chapter 1, verse 15 and 16, 16 says, but when, you, but when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace, watch this, was pleased to reveal the son to me in order that I might preach. Flesh and blood did not reveal this. To, like Peter could not come to the conclusion that you are the Christ, the son of the living God, because people said it. He came to that conclusion because God revealed it to him. So important for us this morning. Let me also clarify that you can't come to that conclusion that Christ is the son of the living God based on your good behavior, based on your bubbly character and your nice personality and your good deeds. Your good deeds don't bring you revelation of who Jesus is. God, the Father, and him alone brings that revelation. Look back at the text with me. Verse 18. Verse 17. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Watch this. And I will tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. This is interesting. You know, this verse, verse 18 has been so misunderstood down through church history. The Catholic Church has literally come into play because of this verse. You know, they say Peter is the first pope. In fact, when I went to Israel, I went to Peter's house, and, you know, when I got to Peter's house, they had, you know, it's not like a whole house. It's just like the walls of Peter's house. And above Peter's house, they literally have a Catholic church built above his house. Not next door, not down the street. Above Peter's house is a Catholic church. Why? Because they read this verse and said, Christ is building his church on Peter. Listen, I wouldn't submit to the church if the church was built on a sinful man. And Peter is a sinful man. Let's remember, this is the one that denied Jesus three times. This is the same man that was hypocritical with the Gentiles when they came, when the Jews came. This is the same man that had anger problems and cut a Roman soldier's ear off. The church is not built on Peter himself. Here's what the church is built on. It's built on what came out of Peter's mouth. What came out of Peter's mouth? You are the Christ, the son of the living God. In third grade, we, we, we learned something uh, that says when a noun is, is, is given in a sentence, I don't know if y'all remember this. It has to go back to the nearest antecedent. So a noun has to find its fulfillment. A pronoun has to find its fulfillment in a noun. What is the pronoun in this text? I'm taking you guys to school a little bit here, giving you a third grade review. Uh, Look look at the noun that's in this verse. And I will tell you, uh, you are Peter. And on this, we have to define this. This is the pronoun in that sentence. So the pronoun has to reach back And find a noun. Remember a noun, a person, place, or thing. What is the nearest noun in our text? Peter. So it's almost like we have a problem in the text. He just said on this, what is this? Peter. Again, he is not building it on Peter as a person. He's building it on what Peter has said. Let me also put Bible there. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 and 21. I'm loving the music. I'm about to start dancing. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 to 21. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Watch this. Listen to this language. Built on the foundations of the apostles and on the prophets. Now, it's easy to walk away if we stop there and say, oh, it's built on them. But then the text goes on to say, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone 
in whom the whole structure is joined together and grows in a, as a holy temple. The text is not saying in Ephesians that the church is built on the apostles and the prophets. It's saying it's built on what the apostles and the prophets said. What is an, uh, an apostle like, like Paul says? Him we proclaim. Paul didn't preach himself. The prophets didn't prophesy about themselves. They pointed to Jesus. The apostles pointed to Jesus. Peter in our text, when he says, who do you say that I am? He's not saying, forget who you are. The church is built on me. No, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. What he's saying is that the foundation the church is built on is secure because it's built on Jesus. When I was in high school, I used to go down to the beach. I grew up on the Jersey Shore, and I used to go down to the beach and, and run and jog on the beach so that I can, I can catch speed because when I got back on like a solid foundation, you know, I ran quicker because I was running on the beach. I don't know if you guys ever ran on sand. It is difficult. I mean, that is an unstable surface. It shifts right under your feet. It is not a, 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 you can't even run fast on it. What I know about some of you that come to this church is that some of you have a foundation that's like sand. You need to have a foundation check this morning. You are not what the church is built on. Your foundation is faulty. What you need is to switch your foundation to a secure foundation. I don't even like walking down the street and walking on those, uh, the, 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 the gates on the, you know, that go down to the subway. I don't even like, well, that's unstable for me. We need a solid foundation. Jesus Christ in our text is pointing out that he is that solid foundation. And if he's the foundation, Nothing will stop the church, which is why the church has thrived through the years. Under persecution, the church has thrived. Under hardship, the church has thrived. Let me go this far. Under bad government leadership, the church has thrived. In fact, the church has thrived more under bad leadership than any other time. We're going through the book of First Peter. The Roman emperor is Nero, a horrible emperor, and the church is thriving. What do I know? Because Jesus is the foundation. And some of you in here... You need to switch your foundation this morning. How do you switch your foundation? Pastor, that's nice. Thank you. But can you tell me how I switch it? It's so simple. Jesus is how. Trusting in the work and the person of Jesus. Like denouncing your own righteousness and leaning on the righteousness of Jesus Christ is how you switch that foundation. Why? Because Jesus paid your debt. Jesus like the debt that you owed before God the Father, Jesus goes to a cross and absorbs the debt. Like there is no part of the debt that you have to pay. Like I don't know if that's exciting for you or not, if that's common for you or not, but you do not have to stand before God the Father if you trusted in Jesus and pay for your own debt because Jesus has paid for it. Like think on your mind, your sin, your sin is paid for. If you've trusted in Jesus. When I was in, when I was doing my undergraduate work at Cairn University, right before we graduated, you know, everybody has to pay off their, their debt with the school. Not, a, not your student loans, but if you had a debt. So I had like a three, $400 debt because of some books that I had to get last minute. And um, I, I went down to student services and I said, you know what, I'm going to pay my debt off because, you know, the cap and gown won't come unless I do that. So I get down to student services and I attempt to pay the debt. And the girl on the other side of the counter says, uh, let me look you up. She puts my information in. She puts my school ID in. And she's like, oh, you have a zero balance. And I'm like, like, where'd that come from? 
I know I don't have a zero balance. I just purchased books that I, that I put on uh, reserve so that I could pay it later. But the lady says, no, you don't have a balance. I know some of you are spiritual. You wouldn't ask questions. You just leave it. I ask questions. I said, you know what? Let me find. I said, ma'am, can you, can you please explain to me how the debt has been absorbed? Like, how has the debt been paid? Like, how do I have a zero balance when I know I owe on, for school books? And you know what she said to me? She said, let me find out. She starts to click in her computer and she says, oh, you know what it is? Every year around graduation time, there's a guy, one guy that comes in. She would not tell me his name. He likes to be anonymous. And he comes in and he looks at the, the student debt and, and he decides that he's going to pay all the debt. I know you want to speak in tongues right there. Me too. I almost ran around the school that day. And so my debt was paid, hear me, by an anonymous source. Here's what I know about the cross. Those of you in this room that have sins that have accumulated, you have a debt against God. Christ goes, he's not an anonymous source. He goes to a cross and absorbs your debt. And you do not have to pay for your sins because Jesus has paid for it. That and that alone is how you switch your foundation. You want to switch your foundation this morning? Trust in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Every head bowed and every eye closed. This morning, we talked a lot about the local church. There's a difference between the local church and what's known as the universal church. What is the universal church? Universal church is the church that's made up of all, uh, all believers. Anybody that has ever professed faith in Jesus Christ is a part of what we call the, the universal church. But here's what I know. God doesn't save us so that we can be lone rangers. He saves us and puts us a part of his, his universal body, but we work that out through the local body, through the local church, which is why it's important for us to go to two services. Like, we're not going to two services to floss. We are going to two services because Jesus is building his church. Father, I pray for every person in this room. Here's what I know, God, that some people aren't serious about you. They're not. They're just not, Lord. You know, the cares of life is, is more important. Our priorities are all over the place. You know, I'll get around to that Jesus thing someday. But Father, tomorrow's not promised. Father, we cannot stand before you on our own foundation. We cannot stand before you on our own good works. You're too holy for that. You don't demand good. You demand perfect. And only in Jesus do we get perfection. Father, we thank you for Jesus this morning. I thank you for every person in this room that, have, that has trusted in Jesus and are a part of his body. And I thank you for every person that says, you know what, because I'm a part of his body, I need to connect with the local body of the church. But Father, I want to I pray for that person in here that doesn't know you, that has not trusted in you, that has not given their life to you. Help them realize that they will have to pay for their own sin. But if they've trusted in Jesus, the debt's paid. The debt's paid. The debt is paid. He has licked the full wrath, the cup of the wrath of God. He's licked it bone dry. There's nothing else for us. And we thank you this morning. And I pray, Lord, that we would walk out of here and literally be doers of your word and not hearers only. What do I mean by that? That we would le legitimately connect to your body because you died on our behalf. It's in Christ's name and Christ's name alone we pray. Everybody say amen.